0: Jeff Wagner, six twenty, W T M J. President Trump speaks to the United Nations. Uh, the timing on these speeches is always somewhat fluid, but we will carry the president's speech. Um, right now, he's scheduled to address the United Nations sometime around nine thirty. I think the the big question is going to be, um, what what sort of tone is he going to take, given the the tone that he has taken regarding the United Nations over the course of the last year and a half, and in particular, what is he going to say about Korea? The bottom line is, as we have talked about repeatedly on this program, something needs to be done to rein in the dictator in North Korea who is now continuing to conduct nuclear bomb tests, shooting ballistic missiles over Japan. Um, I think whatever ends up happening needs to be something that happens not just by the United States engaging in unilateral action, but rather happens with the entire support of the United Nations, which means getting China on board, which means it will be very interesting to see what the president says today. All right. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Big story number one. Jesu Church you know Jesu Church it is the huge Catholic Church associated with Marquette University on Wisconsin Avenue so um, I don't know what it is about 14th in Wisconsin or so it is a beautiful beautiful church I know a lot of people have weddings there but they also conduct you know regular services I heard this from a couple people who have, have been who regularly attend Jesu Jay Zoo is, of course, right in the heart of the Marquette campus, like I say, like 14th and Wisconsin. And that is an area where there are a lot of people who beg money, a lot of panhandlers. And it has been an ongoing problem, particularly on weekends. Like during the weekdays when school is in session, you, you typically have a, a larger Marquette police presence. Um, when it comes to the weekends, not as much so. Particularly the Saturday afternoon, the Saturday evening, the Sunday mornings when church services are going to be conducted. In any event, I heard this from a couple of the parishioners, and I am I'm looking at something that appeared in the Jesu Parish Bulletin for um, last week. All right, here, here's what it says: A note about panhandling. Nearly every day, Jesu petition. Parishioners and guests encounter people, often homeless or poor, asking for money. Panhandling. It is uncomfortable for most of us to be approached by someone who is panhandling. The challenges us as Christian this challenges us as Christians to study, pray, and act on the deeper issues that lead to poverty and homelessness. We have recently noticed an increase in panhandlers asking for money inside the church often disrupting Mass, private prayer, or fellowship, and at the entrances to the church, obstructing people trying to enter or exit the building. While interactions are often peaceful, some instances have turned confrontational, putting individuals at risk. This is the church bulletin. Please do not give panhandlers money. Research shows those, quote, donations, end quote, rarely, if ever, go towards the donor's intended purpose, no matter how convincing the story and will encourage the few people who panhandler Jesu to be more aggressive and disruptive in the future. Research also suggests panhandling will be greatly reduced, if not eliminated, once panhandlers are not rewarded for their actions. While we desire to preserve Jesu as a sacred place for prayer and worship for all people, as a parish, we also strongly believe in supporting people who are poor through established parish and community services. A list of local services is provided on the blue cards available at the main entrances of the church. Feel free to direct panhandlers to the blue cards. If you are unfamiliar with the blue cards, ask an usher to direct you to their location." We also encourage you to pray for and support Jesu Parish and any of those institutions and programs which provide services to those who are poor and homeless in our midst. All right, so in other words, the the church is saying, look, we, we have this problem. We have had more and more panhandlers that have been accosting people as they're coming in. They're also coming into the church and begging for money while services are going on. They're disrupting people in their private prayer. The church is saying, do not give them money. Please, if you want to support the various uh, things that we have to help uh, with people who are homeless or impoverished, here, here's the blue cards. Support that. Don't give them money. And in addition, by the way, research shows that if you do give people money, it's almost never going to go where you intend it to go. All four seven nine nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know there's a little bit of a controversy because some people might suggest that this is – this is unchristian, by saying, ignore the panhandlers. Don't give them money. If you give them money, they're going to come back. They're going to be more aggressive. You're going to reward them. We want them to go away, or at least we don't want them hitting up our parishioners, our worshipers, for money. Is this a reasonable response by the church, or is this unchristian? 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. Um, I think this is exactly the approach that the church needs to take, and that candidly, everybody needs to take when they run into people who are begging money. But is the church handling this correctly? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Big Story Number One. It's eight forty one. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's eight forty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Jesu Catholic Church is one of the truly beautiful churches in our area. It's located on Wisconsin Avenue in the heart of the Marquette community. In the parish bulletin this week, they made a point of saying, "Hey, look, we've had we have this problem with panhandlers. We have people who have been coming inside the church, disrupting mass." Begging for money. We've had people who are standing at the entrances to the church, obstructing people trying to enter or exit. Some of these instances have turned confrontational. They say, Please do not give the panhandlers money. Most of the times, when you do that, research shows it's not going to where you intended it to go. In other words, they're not going to use it for food. They're going to drink it up. They're going to use it to buy dope, whatever. They're saying, hey, if you want to donate money, we've got these various charitable services that are listed on these blue cards. Um, give money there. Is this unchristian? 414-799-1620. Lisa in Windlake sends me a text. I agree with the church's stance. I have care packages in my car. And I've given food to panhandlers, and I've been told, I don't want your crap. Give me money. This tests even the strongest Christian. Martha in Elkhorn Martha, good morning You're on 620 tmj
1: Oh yes, good morning Good morning. Um, I not only uh, agree with the church I 1 million percent agree with the church I have four sons, or three sons That lived in San Francisco They went to school They no longer live there But visiting them um, in every area We saw them even standing on the entrance of the freeway And, and such And it's like you said It's going to go to um, alcohol and drugs mm-hmm. And if people want to help um, Pick up a McDonald's Whatever, and, and put it. You get there by a car and, and drop off blanket or whatever do not give them money do not give them money
0: you know it's interesting I have a text here that says it's unchristian to enable you know and I, which is, is, is right. exactly right I mean it's one see but I understand where this really uh, this really tests people okay you're, you're going to church you, you want to help the downtrodden you want to help the unfortunate but the bottom line is you give these you give money to these people you're not helping them you are enabling them and you're encouraging them to engage in what is this disruptive behavior I I support the church 100% here. Yes sir, yeah. I do too. No, thank, thanks for calling. And I and I, I'm sure and this tells you how bad the problem is. If you have to put this in in the parish bulletin, I mean, like I say, I know people who regularly go to that church, and they will tell stories about how panhandlers will come in during the masses, you know, just just during the masses and try to you know beg money. Well, at, at some point in time, I mean, I, I guess maybe this is what you get when you're an urban church, and you have to understand that there's going to be serving you know all parts of the community, but but. You cannot encourage this type of behavior, and I think it's fair and appropriate for the church to say, don't support this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Don in Brookfield. Don, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think?
2: Uh, well, Jeff, I worked across from Cathedral Square for 15 years yeah. and would walk go out at lunch and go for a walk, and invariably... A panhandler would ask me for money. I would always offer to either take them to George Webbs or someplace right. I'll like buy
0: you lunch, absolutely. Or no, I'm not going to give you money, but I'll buy you lunch. That's
2: yep. correct. And and I was never accepted in the fact I I could... Did it happen 20 times?
3: I don't know, 30, 40, 50 times. Right,
0: but but the it's guys didn't want food. They wanted they, they wanted the money, and chances are that you knew what they were going to do with that money, and it wasn't to go to buy food. It was going to go to buy beer or booze or dope or whatever. Probably a pint. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, again, I mean, this is – and again, I, I guess I just – I don't think this is unchristian a- at all. I mean, and I, I think it also kind of reflects the reality. The church is saying what what actually I've been saying for years when it comes to dealing with the out of control panhandling problem in the city. Give you know give give money, donate generously, but donate you know find find the soup kitchen find the homeless shelter what whatever give the money there where you know that the money is going to be spent as you intended to do giving somebody on the street five bucks or ten bucks or whatever maybe maybe that's going to make them go away for a moment maybe it might make you feel a little bit better but the truth of the matter is you're you're not helping anybody to do that nobody's encouraging you not to be generous not to give that the church is very clear they're saying hey look we 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 also you know when you have these people who are asking you for money you know direct them here direct them give them these cards we have this tells you where you can go if you need a if you need a hot meal this tells you where you can go if you need a place to sleep but don't don't give them money because it just encourages what is the bad behavior let's talk to kevin in milwaukee kevin good morning you're on 620 wtmj
2: Hi, good morning, Jeff. Um, I'm the priest at All Saints Cathedral in Milwaukee. Okay. And the, Ep- the Episcopal Cathedral, and we deal with the exact same issue. We're an urban parish, and I concur 100% with what Jesu is doing. And I would, one of your last callers said something about give people maybe a McDonald's card, and I would urge people don't even do that because there's a secondary market for food cards.
0: Right, they're going to resell it, yeah.
2: They'll, re- they'll resell it for drugs, and the drug dealers will give people 10 cents on the dollar for whatever they give them. Mm-hmm. And um, it's tough. It's a tough call for people to make, but give to the food shelters, give to the homeless shelters, give to the social agencies um, that are dealing with the, with the underlying problems, but do not give money and don't give
0: cards either. Is this, is this a problem? I mean, because I, I, obviously it, it must be a huge issue at J-Zoo if, if they're putting it in the parish bulletin. It's, it's yeah. got to be more than just an isolated thing. Are, are well, you seeing this as well?
2: Oh, yeah, and it goes back to Seventh Circuit in Chicago struck down a lot of cities' anti-panhandling ordinances as a violation of free speech. And the people on the street are smart enough to know that, and we have people who show up at the end of services. They know when church is going to get out. And so um, the way to deal with it is not to give money. It sounds unchristian, but it's not. You're enabling some really bad behavior, and... Send your money to places that will do, use it constructively and and leverage it. You know, right, right. A lot more than if you give somebody a buck on the street, you give that same dollar to a, a charity. They can leverage that money and take it further. So.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm. with Father, th- thanks so much for the call. And I mean, I and I also, I mean, I understand why this is a problem for the, the churches. You might say, well, why should you care? Well, okay, here, here's here's part of the thing. First of all, you're not helping the people you intend to do. But secondly, it, if if you are a parishioner at a church let let's face it it is it is an uncomfortable it, you you go you you go to the mass you want the worship ceremony you you don't want some street person coming up to you and disrupting you while you're praying you don't want to get into confrontations as you're coming in and out of the church and if it becomes bad enough what's going to happen is people are going to make a decision to worship somewhere else where they're not they don't have to run a gauntlet of, of panhandlers and that that's the other reality that the churches face. I mean, you know, people come to church to worship. Nobody is encouraging people not to give. Nobody is encouraging people not to donate. Nobody is encouraging people not to help those less fortunate themselves. But giving, and I I mean, and I guess we're we're talking about in the context of churches, but I don't care where you are. This is why I completely and totally agree with the Common Council and the mayor in downtown Milwaukee, mark the tape on that one, who have said, they've got the conscious campaigns out there to discourage people from giving money to the panhandlers because it doesn't help Anne in New Berlin texts me Jeff I belong to Jay and have frequently given money to people begging um, for money that changed when I saw a patient in the emergency room I worked in the patient looked homeless and had a cardboard sign saying he was homeless he had a huge stack of money with him from selling heroin and admitted to me that he lived in a motel yeah he wasn't homeless this was just the scam. I mean, it was just the scam that was going on. And you find people, good-hearted people, people who want to help those less fortunate, and you play them for suckers. I mean, that's that's what's going on. Let's talk to Mary in New Berlin. Mary, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Mary.
1: Um, <laughs> my question or my answer maybe would be, um, you know, I believe that the Church teaches you should teach him, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Right. If you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And I think that we somehow have the idea that if we throw money at people, that relieves us from helping humanity. But does that, does that really help? I don't believe that's true.
0: Right you're, not making, right, you're not making the guys – like if, if, if you've got somebody who's begging you for money and you give them $10, maybe it makes you feel good for a moment, hey, I, I helped right. this guy out, but if all the guy does is go around the street and use that to buy you know a, a couple drinks, you haven't helped them at all.
1: No, and that is what the programs are set up for, and the programs do help, and there's, there's really, really no reason for people to be hungry or homeless in many cases – it's because they haven't really had the knowledge of the programs that are available. So by giving those cards, they are being taught where they can go and where they
0: can seek help, right? If they're but thanks for, if they're truly looking for it, and, and I guess my my belief, and I understand some people think I'm really hard hearted when I do this, and and maybe this is just the, the cynical nature in me coming out. But I think that there are a lot of people out there. I'm not saying all, but a lot of people out there, that they, they make the choice that panhandling is easier and it is more profitable than actually getting a job. So that then becomes their job. You make yourself look as pitiful as you possibly can. You stand out there with a sign saying homeless, and people give you cash if you've got a good location that you do not pay taxes on, and then then you you go on. Now, I understand that's not everybody's situation, but I think that is a situation that is going on. As as, um, As the priest who called in said, he's right that panhandling there are constitutional protections so there's a limit on what you can do but I I, in this particular case I think the church is absolutely correct I think businesses would be correct in taking this position I don't find it to be unchristian as a matter of fact I think giving giving money to people who are going to use it to indulge in drugs or alcohol or whatever I think you could argue that that in and of itself is unchristian it's 855 this is Jeff Wagner We now join President Donald Trump speaking live at the U.N. General
4: Assembly. Welcome to New York. It is a profound honor to stand here in my home city as a representative of the American people to address the people of the world. As millions of our citizens continue to suffer the effects of the devastating hurricanes that have struck our country, I want to begin by expressing my appreciation to every leader in this room who has offered assistance and aid. The American people are strong and resilient, and they will emerge from these hardships more determined than ever before. Fortunately, the United States has done very well since Election Day last November 8th. The stock market is at an all-time high. A record unemployment is at its lowest level in 16 years and because of our regulatory and other reforms we have more people working in the United States today than ever before companies are moving back creating job growth the likes of which our country has not seen in a very long time and it has just been announced that we will be spending almost 700 billion dollars on our military and defense. Our military will soon be the strongest it has ever been. For more than 70 years, in times of war and peace, the leaders of nations, movements, and religions have stood before this assembly. Like them, I intend to address some of the very serious threats before us today but also the enormous potential waiting to be unleashed. We live in a time of extraordinary opportunity. Breakthroughs in science, technology, and medicine are curing illnesses and solving problems that prior generations thought impossible to solve. But each day also brings news of growing dangers that threaten everything we cherish and value. Terrorists and extremists have gathered strength and spread to every region of the planet. Rogue regimes represented in this body not only support terrorists, but threaten other nations and their own people with the most destructive weapons known to humanity. Authority and authoritarian powers seek to collapse the values, the systems, and alliances that prevented conflict and tilted the world toward freedom since World War II. International criminal networks, traffic drugs, weapons, people, forced dislocation and mass migration, threaten our borders and new forms of aggression exploit technology to menace our citizens. To put it simply, we meet at a time of both immense promise and great peril. It is entirely up to us whether we lift the world to new heights or let it fall into a valley of disrepair. We have it in our power, should we so choose to lift millions from poverty, to help our citizens realize their dreams, and to ensure that new generations of children are raised free from violence, hatred, and fear. This institution was founded in the aftermath of two world wars to help shape this better future. It was based on the vision that diverse nations could cooperate to protect their sovereignty, preserve their security, and promote their prosperity. It was in the same period, exactly 70 years ago, that the United States developed the Marshall Plan to help restore Europe. Those three beautiful pillars, they're pillars of peace, sovereignty, security, and prosperity. The Marshall Plan was built on the noble idea that the whole world is safer when nations are strong, independent, and free. As President Truman said in his message to Congress at that time, our support of European recovery is in full accord with our support of the United Nations. The success of the United Nations depends upon the independent strength of its members. To overcome the perils of the present and to achieve the promise of the future, we must begin with the wisdom of the past. Our success depends on a coalition of strong and independent nations that embrace their sovereignty to promote security, prosperity, and peace for themselves and for the world. We do not expect diverse countries to share the same cultures, traditions, or even systems of government, but we do expect all nations to uphold these two core sovereign duties, to respect the interests of their own people and the rights of every other sovereign nation. This is the beautiful vision of this institution. And this is the foundation for cooperation and success. Strong, sovereign nations let diverse countries with different values, different cultures, and different dreams not just coexist, but work side by side on the basis of mutual respect. Strong, sovereign nations let their people take ownership of the future and control their own destiny. And strong, sovereign nations allow individuals to flourish in the fullness of the life intended by God. In America, we do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example for everyone to watch. This week gives our country a special reason to take pride in that example. We are celebrating the 230th anniversary of our beloved Constitution, the oldest Constitution still in use in the world today. This timeless document has been the foundation of peace, prosperity, and freedom for the Americans and for countless millions around the globe whose own countries have found inspiration in its respect for human nature, human dignity, and the rule of law. The greatest in the United States Constitution is its first three beautiful words. They are, we the people. Generations of Americans have sacrificed to maintain the promise of those words, the promise of our country and of our great history. In America, the people govern, the people rule, and the people are sovereign. I was elected not to take power, but to give power to the American people where it belongs. In foreign affairs, we are renewing this founding principle of sovereignty. Our government's first duty is to its people, to our citizens, to serve their needs, to ensure their safety, to preserve their rights and to defend their values. As President of the United States, I will always put America first, just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put your countries first. All responsible leaders have an obligation to serve their own citizens and the nation state remains the best vehicle for elevating the human condition. But making a better life for our people also requires us to work together in close harmony and unity to create a more safe and peaceful future for all people. The United States will forever be a great friend to the world, and especially to its allies. But we can no longer be taken advantage of or enter into a one-sided deal where the United States gets nothing in return. As long as I hold this office, I will defend America's interests above all else. But in fulfilling our obligations to our own nations, We also realize that it's in everyone's interest to seek a future where all nations can be sovereign, prosperous, and secure. America does more than speak for the values expressed in the United Nations Charter. Our citizens have paid the ultimate price to defend our freedom and the freedom of many nations represented in this great hall. America's devotion is measured on the battlefields where our young men and women have fought and sacrificed alongside of our allies. From the beaches of Europe, to the deserts of the Middle East, to the jungles of Asia. It is an eternal credit to the American character that even after we and our allies emerge victorious from the bloodiest war in history, We did not seek territorial expansion or attempt to oppose and impose our way of life on others. Instead, we helped build institutions such as this one to defend the sovereignty, security, and prosperity for all. For the diverse nations of the world, this is our hope. We want harmony and friendship, not conflict and strife. We are guided by outcomes, not ideology. We have a policy of principled realism rooted in shared goals, interests, and values. That realism forces us to confront a question facing every leader and nation in this room. It is a question we cannot escape or avoid. We will slide down the path of complacency, numb to the challenges, threats, and even wars that we face. Or do we have enough strength and pride to confront those dangers today so that our citizens can enjoy peace and prosperity tomorrow? If we desire to lift up our citizens, if we aspire to the approval of history, then we must fulfill our sovereign duties to the people we faithfully represent. We must protect our nations, their interests, and their futures. We must reject threats to sovereignty from the Ukraine to the South China Sea. We must uphold respect for law, respect for borders, and respect for culture and the peaceful engagement these allow. And just as the founders of this body intended, we must work together and confront together those who threaten us with chaos, turmoil, and terror. The scourge of our planet today is a small group of rogue regimes that violate every principle on which the United Nations is based. They respect neither their own citizens nor the sovereign rights of their countries. If the righteous many do not confront the wicked few, then evil will triumph. When decent people and nations become bystanders to history, the forces of destruction only gather power and strength. No one has shown more contempt for other nations, and for the well-being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. It is responsible for the starvation deaths of millions of North Koreans and for the imprisonment, torture, killing, and oppression of countless more. We were all witness to the regime's deadly abuse when an innocent American college student Otto Warmbier was returned to America only to die a few days later. We saw it in the assassination of the dictator's brother using banned nerve agents in an international airport. We know it kidnapped a sweet 13-year-old Japanese girl from a beach in her own country to enslave her as a language tutor for North Korea's spies. If this is not twisted enough, now North Korea's reckless pursuit of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles threatens the entire world with unthinkable loss of human life. It is an outrage that some nations would not only trade with such a regime, but would arm, supply, and financially support a country that imperils the world with nuclear conflict. No nation on Earth has an interest in seeing this band of criminals arm itself with nuclear weapons and missiles. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself, and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able. But hopefully, this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Let's see how they do. It is time for North Korea to realize that the denuclearization is its only acceptable future. The United Nations Security Council recently held two unanimous 15 to nothing votes, adopting hard-hitting resolutions against North Korea. And I want to thank China and Russia for joining the vote to impose sanctions, along with all of the other members of the Security Council. Thank you to all involved. But we must do much more. It is time for all nations to work together to isolate the Kim regime until it ceases its hostile behavior. We face this decision not only in North Korea. It is far past time for the nations of the world to confront another reckless regime, one that speaks openly of mass murder, vowing death to America, destruction to Israel, and ruin for many leaders and nations in this room. The Iranian government masks a corrupt dictatorship behind the false guise of a democracy. It has turned a wealthy country with a rich history and culture into an economically depleted rogue state whose chief exports are violence, bloodshed, and chaos the longest-suffering victims of Iran's leaders are, in fact, its own people. Rather than use its resources to improve Iranian lives, its oil profits go to fund Hezbollah and other terrorists that kill innocent Muslims and attack their peaceful Arab and Israeli neighbors. This wealth, which rightly belongs to Iran's people, also goes to shore up Bashar al-Assad's dictatorship, fuel Yemen's civil war, and undermine peace throughout the entire Middle East. We cannot let a murderous regime continue these destabilizing activities while building dangerous missiles, and we cannot abide by an agreement if it provides cover for the eventual construction of a nuclear program. The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. Frankly, that deal is an embarrassment to the United States, and I don't think you've heard the last of it. Believe me, it is time for the entire world to join us in demanding that Iran's government end its pursuit of death and destruction. It is time for the regime to free all Americans and citizens of other nations that they have unjustly detained. And above all, Iran's government must stop supporting terrorists, begin serving its own people and respect the sovereign rights of its neighbors. The entire world understands that the good people of Iran want change. And other than the vast military power of the United States, that Iran's people are what their leaders fear the most. This is what causes the regime to restrict Internet access, tear down satellite dishes, shoot unarmed student protesters, and imprison political reformers. Oppressive regimes cannot endure forever, and the day will come when the people will face a choice. Will they continue down the path of poverty, bloodshed, and terror, or will the Iranian people return to the nation's proud roots as a center of civilization culture, and wealth, where their people can be happy and prosperous once again. The Iranian regime's support for terror is in stark contrast to the recent commitments of many of its neighbors to fight terrorism and halt its financing. In Saudi Arabia early last year, I was greatly honored to address the leaders of more than 50 Arab and Muslim nations. We agreed that all responsible nations must work together to confront terrorists and the Islamic extremism that inspires them. We will stop radical Islamic terrorism because we cannot allow it to tear up our nation and indeed to tear up the entire world. We must deny the terrorists safe haven transit, funding, and any form of support for their vile and sinister ideology. We must drive them out of our nations. It is time to expose and hold responsible those countries who support and finance terror groups like Al Qaeda, Hezbollah, the Taliban, and others that slaughter innocent people. The United States and our allies are working together throughout the Middle East to crush the loser terrorists and stop the reemergence of safe havens they use to launch attacks on all of our people. Last month, I announced a new strategy for victory in the fight against this evil in Afghanistan. From now on, our security interests will dictate the length and scope of military operations, not arbitrary benchmarks and timetables set up by politicians. I have also totally changed the rules of engagement in our fight against the Taliban and other terrorist groups. In Syria and Iraq, we have made big gains toward lasting defeat of ISIS. In fact, our country has achieved more against ISIS in the last eight months than it has in many, many years combined. We seek the de-escalation of the Syrian conflict and a political solution that honors the will of the Syrian people. The actions of the criminal regime of Bashar al-Assad, including the use of chemical weapons against his own citizens, even innocent children, shock the conscience of every decent person. No society can be safe if banned chemical weapons are allowed to spread. That is why the United States carried out a missile strike on the air base that launched the attack. We appreciate the efforts of the United Nations agencies that are providing vital humanitarian assistance in areas liberated from ISIS. And we especially thank Jordan, Turkey, and Lebanon for their role in hosting refugees from the Syrian conflict. The United States is a compassionate nation and has spent billions and billions of dollars in helping to support this effort we seek an approach to refugee resettlement that is designed to help these horribly treated people and which enables their eventual return to their home countries to be part of the rebuilding process. For the cost of resettling one refugee in the United States, we can assist more than 10 in their home region. Out of the goodness of our hearts, we offer financial assistance to hosting countries in the region, and we support recent agreements of the G20 nations that will seek to host refugees as close to their home countries as possible. This is the safe, responsible, and humanitarian approach. For decades, the United States has dealt with migration challenges, Here in the Western Hemisphere, we have learned that over the long term, uncontrolled migration is deeply unfair to both the sending and the receiving countries. For the sending.
0: You're listening to News Radio 620, WTMJ, Milwaukee. This is continuing coverage of the President's address to the United Nations.
4: And drains them of the human capital necessary to motivate and implement those reforms. For the receiving countries, the substantial costs of uncontrolled migration are borne overwhelmingly by low-income citizens whose concerns are often ignored by both media and government. I want to salute the work of the United Nations in seeking to address the problems that cause people to flee from their homes. The United Nations and African Union led peacekeeping missions to have invaluable contributions in stabilizing conflicts in Africa. The United States continues to lead the world in humanitarian assistance, including famine prevention and relief in South Sudan, Somalia, and northern Nigeria and Yemen. We have invested in better health and opportunity all over the world through programs like PEPFAR, which funds AIDS relief, the President's Malaria Initiative, the Global Health Security Agenda, the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery, and the Woman Entrepreneur's Finance Initiative, part of our commitment to empowering women all across the globe. We also thank We also thank the Secretary General for recognizing that the United Nations must reform if it is to be an effective partner in confronting threats to sovereignty, security, and prosperity. Too often, the focus of this organization has not been on results, but on bureaucracy and process. In some cases, states that seek to subvert this institution's noble aims have hijacked the very systems that are supposed to advance them. For example, it is a massive source of embarrassment to the United Nations that some governments with egregious human rights records sit on the UN Human Rights Council. The United States is one out of 193 countries in the United Nations, and yet we pay 22 percent of the entire budget and more. In fact, we pay far more than anybody realizes. The United States bears an unfair cost burden. But, to be fair, if it could actually accomplish all of its stated goals, especially the goal of peace, this investment would easily be well worth it. Major portions of the world are in conflict, and some, in fact, are going to hell. But the powerful people in this room, under the guidance and auspices of the United Nations, can solve many of these vicious and complex problems. The American people hope that, one day soon, the United Nations can be a much more accountable and effective advocate for human dignity and freedom around the world. In the meantime, we believe that no nation should have to bear a disproportionate share of the burden, militarily or financially. Nations of the world must take a greater role in promoting secure and prosperous societies in their own regions. That is why, in the Western Hemisphere, the United States has stood against the corrupt, destabilizing regime in Cuba and embraced the enduring dream of the Cuban people to live in freedom. My administration recently announced that we will not lift sanctions on the Cuban government until it makes fundamental reforms. We have also imposed tough, calibrated sanctions on the socialist Maduro regime in Venezuela, which has brought a once thriving nation to the brink of total collapse. The socialist dictatorship of Nicolas Maduro has inflicted terrible pain and suffering on the good people of that country. This corrupt regime destroyed a prosperous nation by imposing a failed ideology that has produced poverty and misery everywhere it has been tried. To make matters worse, Maduro has defied his own people, stealing power from their elected representatives to preserve his disastrous rule. The Venezuelan people are starving, and their country is collapsing their democratic institutions are being destroyed. This situation is completely unacceptable, and we cannot stand by and watch. As a responsible neighbor and friend, we and all others have a goal. That goal is to help them regain their freedom, recover their country, and restore their democracy. I would like to thank leaders in this room for condemning the regime and providing vital support to the Venezuelan people. The United States has taken important steps to hold the regime accountable. We are prepared to take further action if the government of Venezuela persists on its path to impose authoritarian rule on the Venezuelan people. We are fortunate to have incredibly strong and healthy trade relationships with many of the Latin American countries gathered here today. Our economic bond forms a critical foundation for advancing peace and prosperity for all of our people and all of our neighbors. I ask every country represented here today to be prepared to do more to address this very real crisis. We call for the full restoration of democracy and political freedoms in Venezuela. The problem in Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. From the Soviet Union to Cuba to Venezuela, wherever true socialism or communism has been adopted, it has delivered anguish and devastation and failure. Those who preach the tenets of these discredited ideologies only contribute to the continued suffering of the people who live under these cruel systems. America stands with every person living under a brutal regime. Our respect for sovereignty is also a call for action. All people deserve a government that cares for their safety, their interests, and their well-being, including their prosperity. In America, we seek stronger ties of business and trade with all nations of goodwill. But this trade must be fair, and it must be reciprocal. For too long, the American people were told that mammoth multinational trade deals, unaccountable international tribunals, and powerful global bureaucracies were the best way to promote their success. But as those promises flowed, millions of jobs vanished and thousands of factories disappeared. Others gamed the system and broke the rules. And our great middle class, once the bedrock of American prosperity, was forgotten and left behind. But they are forgotten no more. And they will never be forgotten again. While America will pursue cooperation and commerce with other nations, we are renewing our commitment to the first duty of every government, the duty of our citizens. This bond is the source of America's strength and that of every responsible nation represented here today. If this organization is to have any hope of successfully confronting the challenges before us, it will depend, as President Truman said some 70 years ago, on the independent strength of its members. If we are to embrace the opportunities of the future and overcome the present dangers together, there can be no substitute for strong, sovereign, and independent nations. Nations that are rooted in their histories and invested in their destinies. Nations that seek allies to befriend, not enemies to conquer. And most important of all, Nations that are home to patriots, to men and women who are willing to sacrifice for their countries, their fellow citizens, and for all that is best in the human spirit. In remembering the great victory that led to this body's founding, we must never forget that those heroes who fought against evil also fought for the nations that they loved. Patriotism led the Poles to die to save Poland, the French to fight for a free France, and the Brits to stand strong for Britain. Today, if we do not invest ourselves, our hearts, and our minds in our nations, if we will not build strong families, safe communities, and healthy societies for ourselves, no one can do it for us. We cannot wait for someone else, for faraway countries or far-off bureaucracies. We can't do it. We must solve our problems to build our prosperity, to secure our future, or we will build vulnerable to decay, domination, and defeat. The true question for the United Nations today, for people all over the world who hope for better lives for themselves, and their children, is a basic one. Are we still patriots? Do we love our nations enough to protect their sovereignty and to take ownership of their futures? Do we revere them enough to defend their interests, preserve their cultures, and ensure a peaceful world for their citizens? One of the greatest American patriots, John Adams, wrote that the American Revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people. That was the moment when America awoke, when we looked around and understood that we were a nation. We realized who we were, what we valued, and what we would give our lives to defend. From its very first moments, the American story is the story of what is possible when people take ownership of their future. The United States of America has been among the greatest forces for good in the history of the world and the greatest defenders of sovereignty, security, and prosperity for all. Now we are calling for a great reawakening of nations for the revival of their spirits, their pride, their people, and their patriotism. History is asking us whether we are up to the task. Our answer will be a renewal of will, a rediscovery of resolve, and a rebirth of devotion. We need to defeat the enemies of humanity and unlock the potential of life itself. Our hope is a word and world of proud independent nations that embrace their duties, seek friendship, respect others, and make common cause in the greatest shared interest of all. A future of dignity and peace for the people of this wonderful Earth. This is the true vision Of the United Nations the ancient wish of every people and the deepest yearning that lives inside every sacred soul so let this be our mission and let this be our message to the world we will fight together sacrifice together and stand together for peace for freedom for justice for family, for humanity, and for the almighty God who made us all. Thank you. God bless you. God bless the nations of the world. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you very much.
0: You. It's 945. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That was President Donald Trump addressing the United Nations. A very, very interesting speech. Let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. Ah, the president really uh, pulled no punches in that speech. Your reaction to it, I'll share what I thought, and we'll discuss in just a moment. 945 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. What did you think of what the president had to say in front of the United Nations? Stick around, it's 946 it's nine fifty Jeff six twenty WTMJ. I will tell you the internet is exploding. The Trump haters are out in full force. People just appalled at the president's speech before the United Nations. Let me just share a couple. No content. Showing his buffoonery nationally. He's embarrassing our nation behind the world. Oh, my God. Trump needs to be impeached now before there is a nuclear war. Um, the comments that are getting criticism is where he says, hey, we, we've got to bring North Korea under control and we will uh, we will destroy North Korea if they refuse to cooperate. Um Trump called the U.N.-backed Iranian nuclear deal an embarrassment to the United Nations and could soon declare Tehran out of compliance. I don't think you've heard the end of it. All right, 414-799-1620. While there were certain aspects of the speech, I, I wish he wouldn't have called the North Korean dictator rocket man. I think as a general rule, and I understand liberal heads will be exploding I think he said many things that needed to be said. I think he conveyed his America first concept, but he put it in a way that I think a lot of nations can, in fact, understand, which is, you know, all of us, all of us who are leaders of countries have an obligation to look out for our countries first. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Ben in Waukesha. Ben, good morning. Ben. Hello. Hi, Ben. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Yes, um,
2: my comment is um, absolutely love the speech. went in the direction I thought we needed to go and definitely um, said what needed to be said and um, definitely spoke to the hearts of the many people involved in all those situations. And uh, I definitely agree and would go with it. The only, the only little thing I could critique as well is um, he used the word pride. So if you love your neighbor and love everyone else, pride, pride is not in love. But other than that, it was great. It, I, I actually love the direction and his uh, speech, for sure.
0: Thanks, Jacob. Well, I mean, I, I think he said things that, that needed to be, be said. And I understand there's some people are going to be hand-wringing over him saying, hey, look, the United Nations is, is largely – we in America, you know, we, we are paying a disproportionate share to support the United Nations. Other countries need to step up. Well, I'm sure there's people in the room that don't want to hear that, but, but – you know, it, it happens It happens to be true. And I think what he was sending and the message he was saying, and again, there's going to be heads that are going to be exploding all over, is that, you know, look, we we want to work together. You know, if you have these rogue nations, you know, we, we need to work together to take care of it. But I am not going to allow these rogue nations to put the rest of the world and America at risk and wasn't it nice to have somebody finally call out islamic terrorism for what it is i mean isn't it nice to finally hear that let's talk to um michael in chicago michael you're on 620 wtmj
5: yeah it's not a guy that i voted for and not a guy that i love as an american president but as a guy leading the world against forces of evil I'm pretty damn proud of our country and our president today.
0: Um, Do you think he hit all the right tones?
5: You know, I think he probably went after one too many things. I think you you, you say what you have to about North Korea. You know, he mentioned the Iran deal. I thought he just kind of kept going. You know, Syria came up. Uh, Speaking of more people who were uh, funding and supporting, I I, I do think that he probably hit it right on the nose talking about North Korea and the continued expansion down and down the line uh you know this isn't a guy who never stops after he hits the big note
0: right but
5: uh, (laughs) but, but i do think that every note he played was okay uh and i'm uh, really proud of the guy
0: thanks for Uh, call i appreciate it let's talk to john in madison john you're on 620 wtmj good morning uh
3: hi jeff this is john Monaco calling um i I state representative
0: uh, from the 88th assembly district welcome
3: yeah thank you very much um you know, I'm always very close to, to stay close to my knitting, and that is uh, taking care of the state of Wisconsin. And I'm so grateful that we have people in our district, uh, uh, Senator Johnson and Mike Gallagher, and I've already texted those guys and said, hey, would you call me and just brief me on some of this stuff because it, it really is something that we don't deal with directly on a state level. Um, but I thought it was fascinating, and I think there were some other pieces in there, certainly the uh, terrorism component, but I want to make sure that everybody caught uh, when he said, and I'm driving, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the quote, but he, he said that the problems in Venezuela aren't because they implemented socialism poorly, it's that because they implemented it very well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think as we go into, uh, yesterday we were just down, uh, in certivant, signed the Foxconn pro, uh, 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 plan, uh, we finished the budget, there's some fun, exciting things going, and I think it's that capitalism, that freedom component I think that also transcended uh, some of the president's speech today. No,
0: I I think you're exactly right, John. Thanks for calling. That is, of course, uh, State Representative John McEl. He represents the Green Bay uh, area. Um, We're going to continue this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump said some things that um, I'm sure some people, particularly in that room, did not like. But that does not mean they were things that did not need to be said I think this was a very, very strong speech. We'll continue to discuss it. Um, If you're on the line, please hold on. If If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. 1008, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As you might expect, ah, the Internet is exploding. President Trump speaks to the United Nations for 45 minutes. Let me give you what are some of the, the major takeaways are going to be. Um, you will see the headline. Trump threatens to totally destroy North Korea. Um, President Trump uh, says that if the United States is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Korea, um, He says North Korea threatens the entire world with an unthinkable loss of life as a result of its nuclear weapons program. If the righteous many don't confront the wicked few, then evil will triumph. Um, interestingly enough, he emphasized that it was against the interest of the entire world for North Korea, who he labeled as a band of criminals to obtain missiles and nuclear weapons. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself. Um, the president said that America would act alone if needed, but he wanted United Nations cooperation. Um, he explained the American First agenda. And, where, and I thought, I actually thought he did a very, very good job of this. He said, look, um, anyone of, the leader of any country has an obligation first and foremost to, to their people. And, and that's what I mean when I talk about America First. Now, it is in the interest of the people in one country to have a safe and prosperous world. So just because you talk about America first and you put the interests of your own country first doesn't mean that you, you know, don't support world peace and world prosperity. So I, I thought he did a very, very good job with that. He went on, he denounced Iran as a rogue nation. Um, he called the Iranian nuclear deal entered into by the Obama administration as an embarrassment and one of the worst that the United States has ever entered into and he certainly hinted that um certainly hinted that uh the United States was preparing to uh, make major changes and or back out of that deal. So I mean that was one of the things that was definitely out there as well. Had some interesting quotations as I was saying before the break. President Trump uh labeled Islamic extremism as being Islamic extremism. I thought that was extremely interesting. President Obama uh just couldn't bring himself to say those words and President Trump had no problem in calling out the need to uh, crack down on the you know, to fight Islamic extremism, you know, in the gauge of fighting terrorism. And, you know, he, he actually he called out the Taliban. He called out ISIS. I mean, kind of refreshing in that way. This is going to be one of the interesting takeaways and quotations as well. He, he talked about Venezuela and Venezuela, if you haven't been following it, is an absolute and, and total, total mess. Their constitution has been suspended. The economy is in shambles. And, you know, Venezuela, for the longest time, was just rolling in dough because of oil and stuff. Um, It's just completely and totally cratered. Um, Here's what President Trump said about that, and this will be one of the, the money takeaways of the speech. The problem in Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. From the Soviet Union to Cuba to Venezuela, wherever true socialism or communism has been adopted, it has delivered anguish and devastation and failure. Oh, well, some people are going to say, "Well, he, he, he said bad things about the, so- the Soviet Union." Hmm. Those who—this is what he continued to say—those who preach the tenets of these discredited ideologies only contribute to the continued suffering of the people who live. Under these cruel regime these cruel systems, America stands with every person living under a brutal regime. Our respect for sovereignty is also a call for action. All people deserve a government that cares for their safety, their interests, and their well being including their prosperity okay four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line like I say, I, I know a number of people are. There's going to be a lot of liberal talking heads whose heads are exploding. Oh, my gosh, this guy is a warmonger. He is a madman. He's saying that he's going to destroy North Korea. He's saying he's going to back out of the Iranian nuclear deal. He's talking about putting the interests of America first. He's calling out socialism. What an embarrassment. Um, Actually... I think these are things that um, need to be said. Let's see, a couple of our texts. Hate the guy, but he finally said everything right for all Americans and all good people of the world. Patricia says, driving in my car so I'm unable to phone in. I thought President Trump did great. That's the guy I voted for. Dave in West Bend texts, Trump put the world on pause. Dan sends me a text. The UN was probably shocked because they are not used to frank talk. Devoid of euphemisms. Um, Let's see, we have another text. I agree the leaders of countries need to put their own country first. There is nothing wrong with that. Some people are upset just because it is Trump that said it. 414 799 1620, another text. Very good speech. He sounded presidential. All right, what grade would you give him? I think he said things that needed to be said. Some people aren't going to like it, but you know what? We cannot allow ourselves to be menaced by North Korea. I hope the world comes together and figures out a way to make this madman stop, but I I don't think you can just simply allow him to destroy South Korea and then say, we're going to act. All right, 414-799-1620. We continue with your calls and texts. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1014. You're listening to 620 WTMJ. 1019. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Interestingly enough, a little bit of trivia. North Korea was apparently sitting in the front row for the president's speech. Um, apparently, they have seating based on a lottery system, and North Korea won the lottery. Um, this is... These are going to be some of the takeaways. I mean, uh, President Trump talking about North Korea's reckless pursuit of nuclear weapons threatens the entire world with unthinkable loss of human life. If North Korea continues down the path, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and his regime. Um, while the U.S., he said, is willing and able to take military action, he says, hopefully this will not be necessary um, you know, again, that that's. I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure that people aren't used to having a president talk in that fashion. But you know what? Is is he wrong? He talked about uh, he accused Iran of seeking nuclear weapons despite its agreement with the U S. He called the U N. the deal that the United States had made under Barack Obama with Iran one of the worst deals in the history of uh, this country, and said, you know, stay tuned. Essentially, implying that he's. Um, ready to back out of that, um, vowed to meet catastrophic threats of radical Islamic terrorists. Oh, that was something that Barack Obama, you know, was never willing to say. And again, he, he called out socialism. I mean, it was a, that's going to be another one of the money quotations, just saying, hey, the problem isn't, whether it's Venezuela or Cuba or the Soviet Union, the, the promise isn't that uh, with the form of socialism that they've adopted, it's. With socialism itself. Oh, how horrible for him to say this. Okay, as we look at our text line, which has exploded. As a former Marine and a person who never will and never voted for the GOP in my lifetime, I think the speech was needed. It showed the world that America is back and we will not be pushed around anymore. And the world needs to get with this. Huh, interesting. Dan says, on a text. I liked how he called out the corruption and dysfunction of the UN. He mentioned the countries with horrible human rights records on their Human Rights Commission, uh, which is a very, very good point. It is amazing that the UN Human Rights Commission has some of the ver- as its as members on that committee has some of the worst offenders he also mentioned the disproportionate percentage of the UN budget paid for by the United States and made a subtle implication that funding might dry up if they didn't clean up their act I, these are all things that i think very much needed to be said now, some people are going to accuse him of warmongering. Some people are going to accuse him of saber-rattling. Some people are going to accuse him of wanting to start World War III, but I don't take it that way. The truth of the matter is that if the United Nations is going to have any relevance in 2017, what it, what it needs to do is really assert itself and say that the things we say, we, we mean. And if you have, for example, a a regime in Iran that makes a commitment to, uh, again, stop its nuclear program, but they continue to do it, well, we we need to just not turn a blind eye to that. If you have a rogue nation, and is there anybody that doesn't think that North Korea is a rogue nation, what you need to do is you need to band together to, to stop that. And that's what Trump is saying, maybe in terms more direct than some people are used to, but What's wrong with that? It's 1023. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I thought it was a strong speech. My guess is it's going to be criticized, but I I think he said things that needed to be said, even though some people don't want to hear them. 1023, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10:27 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Many believe Democrat state representative Peter Barca was forced out of his leadership role because of his yes vote on Foxconn. Oh the horror. He represents Kenosha. It's going to be bringing a ton of jobs to his area and he bucked the party by voting in favor of it. Is that what really happened? The former Assembly Minority Leader joins John McCure at 520 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to tune in. All right, there's going to be a lot of analysis, I know, over the next few hours um, about the Trump speech. I think it was a strong speech. I think he said things that needed to be said, even if some people didn't like being talked to in that fashion. Because of the length of the speech and the commentary, kind of a little blown up the, the program. A lot of stuff I want to get to before before we have to say goodbye at noon. So um, we're going to move on from the analysis of the Trump speech. Uh, we'll probably revisit that again tomorrow. There is something going on in the state Senate um, today that, that I, I want to discuss with you and, and really get your sense of. For the longest time, I was one of the huge advocates of the concealed carry law. At the time we finally passed concealed carry, Wisconsin was, I believe, the 49th state out of 50 to authorize law abiding citizens to apply for receive a permit, and be able to carry a concealed firearm. I continue to believe that that, I mean, I, the, the argument that, uh, gee, it's going to turn Wisconsin into the wild, wild west, I thought was absolutely absurd. The mean streets in Milwaukee may very, very well be the wild, wild west, but it has nothing to do with concealed carry permit holders. A little bit later in the program, I want to talk about this 60-year-old pizza delivery driver who got murdered the other night. Um And quite candidly, you know, if more of these delivery drivers started carrying firearms, maybe this would happen less. But in the event, I I believe in the concealed carry law. I advocated for it. I argued for it. I would also, quite candidly perhaps say that you need to perhaps even go a little bit further because there is no training requirement. The requirement right now to get the permit is you have to, obviously you can't have a criminal background, but you apply for this. You have to go through a a training session, but the training session doesn't involve teaching you how to actually shoot the firearm. It just essentially explains to you, okay, this is when you can use the gun. This is when you can't use the gun. But just because, just like we wouldn't say, hey, you're 16 years old, here's your driver's license, go out on the freeway without having some behind-the-wheel experience, I I seriously question whether or not we should have at least some hands-on firearm training. But that's not the issue right now. The State Senate today is considering a a bill, um, and it's a committee, pushed very heavily by the NRA. This bill would allow for the concealed carry of a firearm without a concealed carry license anywhere where the person is legally allowed to be so if it's if the law right now says you can legally carry your firearm into x place the law under the senate bill would say you no longer need a permit if the law says you can have a gun in a particular place you can concealed carry no permit it would deal do away with the permit requirement like i say under current law now you could carry a firearm you if you want to carry your firearm in concealed fashion you you need to have the permit um, this is the way the NRA writes it. The bill recognizes a law-abiding adult's unconditional right to keep and bear arms for self-defense in the manner that he or she chooses. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I understand. I go where angels fear to tread with this. I think this is an awful, awful bill. And I think it needs to be rejected by the state Senate. I think it needs to be rejected by the state assembly. And if it somehow passes, I do not think Governor Walker should sign it. And this comes from somebody who is very, very pro-Second Amendment. 414 Should we do away with the concealed carry permit law and allow people to simply carry firearms either openly or concealed wherever they want? We discuss next. 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Okay, let's be real clear. Longtime listeners know I, I, I was an aggressive supporter of the concealed carry legislation. Um, in Wisconsin now, You can carry a firearm in a concealed fashion, but you have to get a permit to do it. The permit process is very, very easy. You have to take a a class. That The class does not require training, does not require qualification. Essentially, the class just explains to you what your legal rights and obligations are as a concealed carry holder. Frankly, and I come at this from the perspective who for for a few years I carried a gun myself uh, before the concealed carry days I was a special deputy US marshal because of death threats um, when I was in the US attorney's office I had to qualify police officers have to qualify you have to go to the range and you had to ha- you had to shoot you had to prove that you had a proficiency we don't require qualifications right now I think if you wanted to fault the concealed carry legislation, it it would be that, that we we don't require people to prove that they they know how to shoot a gun. But, But there is legislation being considered today. It's going to be voted on by a Senate committee that would do away with the need to have a concealed carry permit. It would say that if you're legally allowed to... Carry a concealed gun now with a permit into a place you could carry the gun without the permit. So essentially here, just, just carry the guns. I think this is very, very bad legislation. Karen from Glen Ellen text, this is awful legislation that should never see the light of the day. Well it's getting it's getting voted on and I and it's getting voted on in the state senate committee. This is I I don't mean, no pun intended. I think this has a huge potential to backfire against gun right advocates. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Scotty in New Berlin. Scotty, you're on 620 WTMJ.
6: Hi, how are you doing today?
0: Very well, thank you, sir. Is this a good idea?
2: Definitely not, but a little sidebar, you nailed it. Um, See, there's a security officer in the store. You see somebody come in, and he's seen the behavior, and it looks like a robbery. He comes up to him and says, uh, what are you doing? And the guy said, well, he sees the guy, and he says, oh, I forgot my concealed carry. Uh, I'll just go home. I'll get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that could happen so many times, and it it just doesn't make
6: any sense at all.
0: Well, I guess I mean I say I just think thanks. I mean I guess I just think this is a reasonable restriction. The the Second Amendment. I know some people's heads are going to explode when I say this. It is not absolute. We don't let felons carry guns. We we you you know you're not you're not allowed to walk around with machine guns. If you want to own a machine gun, there's a process you have to go through. You you don't have a right to individually own bazookas, for example, without going through a, a certain type of process. We do have regulations, and we try to balance the right to carry firearms and where to carry firearms with other societal rights as well. And I guess I just think the concealed carry permit process is a reasonable thing. You want to carry the gun concealed. Fine. You submit the permit. They do the background check. They make sure that you're not a felon. And and then you, you go from there. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ.
6: Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, I just wanted to comment on that. Uh you know, I uh, didn't have to take Hunter's safety, but my, I had my son take Hunter's safety. Right. And, and at that class, you had to go and do the, the class thing or whatever, and you had to go and actually shoot a shotgun. They actually called my son Deadeye because he was pretty good at it. But anyway, I just wanted to say that you have to actually uh, shoot a firearm and know how it works and know how to do the safety and not point it at anyone or whatever, right. loaded, it, unload it, that kind of thing. Shoot before you, you know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. I, and I think this is just stupid. Uh, you know, have a concealed carry and no no experience with a gun. That's crazy.
0: Well, it, it means, I mean, and that's and again that that's part of the larger issue now. And again, I'm I'm not, I that's a whole other battle. I, and I'm not I'm not calling for that right now. Other than if I were king. I would have some minimum proficiency that goes along with carrying the firearm for exactly those type of, of reasons. Now I understand that guns are different than cars, but I mean my analogy was you don't just say, "Hey, you're 16 years old. You you, you know you've taken the you, you've taken the the class where we explained to you how a car works, but you don't have you know, we're just going to give you a driver's license without having a test to make sure you would drive. We we don't do that. Um, we do it with firearms. But again, regardless of whether you agree with me on that or not, this bill would uh, do away with any permitting process at all. And I candidly think that if you want to, if you want to turn off the general public to the rights of, of firearm owners, this is this is a way to do it. Just like the people that that tout the open carry stuff, the folks that walk around with the rifles and walk into the on a farmers' markets in Appleton and things like that, the people that walk up and down the sidewalks carrying the gun, trying to carrying the guns to try to provoke responses from the police and then film it, they do, in my opinion, they do the the Second Amendment crowd, they do the gun rights folks, a huge disservice because that. It, it candidly, I think a lot of people just look at it and shake their head. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bob in Cudahy. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Bob. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bob. Good morning.
6: Good morning. Um, I'm a uh, card-carrying NRA member, and I have a concealed carry permit. And I, I, I believe whoever introduced this bill in the state of Wisconsin is an idiot. If you'll excuse
0: that. Well, tell me. I mean, okay. Tell me why. Obviously, you're a big Second Amendment guy. You're an NRA member. You've got your concealed carry permit. Some people would say, well, you shouldn't have to do that at all. I mean, why? Why do you have problems with this?
6: You, you at least need to have some form of uh, training. I, I, I think that the Wisconsin training is way too easy. There should be some form of firearm proficiency, but mm-hmm. that was the original. Um, I, I was glad to see them come up with something, but to go with just go ahead and carry a firearm wherever you want, uh, no, that's just wrong. Um, it would put firearms in in people's hands that don't know how to use them,
0: right? Um, and, and have you know. and have no clue as to what their legal obligations are. If yeah. even if even if people. You know I mean you and I, I think agree that without that proficiency thing that that's a little bit of a problem, but with without any sort of training at all, you've got people going to walk around carrying guns in their waistbands or whatever who have no idea what the legal requirements are, what when they're able to do it, when they're not able to do it. I mean it's just I think it would just be disastrous. Why would we do that? Getting a permit is not that difficult a process oh,
6: no. and no. as long as you are not a felon there is no trouble with getting a permit.
0: Right. I mean you got to pay the fee whatever the fee is, but yeah. it but okay, but but still No, thanks for calling. I mean I guess I'm just kind of frustrated with this because I think this is one of, and look, and I understand the argument. It's being pushed by people who are taking a strict constructionist view of the Second Amendment. The idea being there should be no restrictions on the right to carry a firearm. That the government does not have the right to tell you that you you should have to have a permit to carry the firearm. It should be your absolute right. And I'm, I'm just saying, I think... I don't think the Second Amendment goes that far. We put – there are reasonable limits on gun ownership. Like I say, felons can't own, own firearms. That, that's a restriction. There are limits on the types of firearms that you can own without having to get a, a permit. This, to me, what we have now in Wisconsin is a reasonable balance. Maybe you should go further. But just to say carry a gun anywhere you want. No, and and, and candidly, I know there's a lot of conservative legislators in the, the state senate and the state assembly. This is the type of bill which will turn off people who otherwise support Second Amendment rights. Mary and Walkershaw. Mary, you're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Good
7: morning. What do you think? Um. Well, I I am all over the board with my thoughts because of the training that I've had. Um. I I am a hunter safety instructor. And I, when I start my classes, I tell people this, this is not anything to do with pistols. Go get a class if you're gonna use this so that you're out there and you're using your firearm safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that said, I don't like laws telling me what I can and can't do with my gun. But I think people that carry need to realize if you're gonna carry, you better make sure your, you know how to use it properly. You better make sure you understand the legal, and you best understand that if you're going to pull it, you better use it or it's going to be used on you.
0: Yep, yep. All these different things. I mean, thanks to These are all these different things that is part of the training class right now. Even though there's not a proficiency component, at least those types of things are, are discussed. Look, I I think it is a reasonable... Accommodation to say we're going to allow you to carry concealed firearms, but 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 you need to have this permit. Now I'm getting a number of texts. Here's one: Oh my God, we've been carrying guns for years. Um, you don't need a permit to carry one openly. You shouldn't need a permit to carry one in a concealed fashion. I'm sorry, I, I just I disagree. And this is one where I, I hope the Republicans who control the state Senate. Don't get dragged along down this path, because I think there will be a huge, a huge, to borrow the word, backlash. It's 1047. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1052. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the keys to success for the Packers moving forward will be their health Who's healthy? Who's not? What's the prognosis for week three? Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee will be with John McCure, 320 Today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to tune in. John does a great show. I, our, our, because of the President Trump's speech and our commentary over it, my, my schedule got a little bit thrown off. One of the things I wanted to talk about earlier in our three big things was – just this horrible, horrible story. And there, there's so many horrible crime stories coming out of the city of Milwaukee that you just you don't know where to start. But Friday night about 9:30, 60 year old man. His name is Clarence Taper. He works, he works to make a few extra bucks. He works like as a pizza delivery driver for a place called Buddy's Pizza and Steak in Milwaukee. He gets called to make a delivery. He goes to this area around 75th and Glenbrook in Milwaukee, and it they, they don't know all the details yet. They know he's shot and killed. Um, and it appears that it's a robbery, and what at least the operating theory is, is that this was something where, again, somebody called, they ordered the pizza with the idea that, you know, he was going to show up, and then he was going to be robbed. This was another just, and, and you have these stories, it seems like every other week, or every two or three weeks, you do get one of these stories about how people are calling these delivery drivers, and they're, they're robbing them, and And sometimes they get beaten, sometimes they simply get robbed, and sometimes they end up getting killed. And in this situation they got killed. Apparently there was some bystander who who saw this all happening and after the man was shot she she ran and tried to you know was with him while he was dying and was trying to do whatever she could to save him, but the gunshot wounds were too severe. Here here is the problem of what is going on in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. This this is not an isolated case. And I think, you know, moving forward, you you don't like to give in to the bad guys and the criminals. And we were talking about concealed carry. I know there's a lot of businesses that tell their employees you're not allowed to carry firearms, you know, while you're at work. I mean, in all honesty, if I was a delivery driver in Milwaukee, I guess depending maybe on where my route took me, Uh, And my employer said that, you you know, again, if you're in some of these high crime areas and my employer said you can't carry a firearm even if you want to, I think that might be a situation where I'd start to look for another job. But but the larger issue that's out there is until and unless we can get a, a grip on crime. And I don't know when that's going to be, candidly, given the way things are going. You do wonder how long it's going to be when you can still continue to just have things that we think of as being normal, being able to call up and order a pizza or something like that. At the very least, you'd think that um, you'd have at least some major changes made in the whole delivery process. And I know some restaurants have already gone to that. They've said, hey, the delivery driver never comes out of the car. I mean, you, you order a pizza – fine the delivery driver pulls up they sit in the car and they give you a number to they, you the driver has a number to call and then you come out and you pick up the pizza you don't go to the door does that stop robberies a 100% no but the, the drivers are always most vulnerable you know when when they get out of the car when they've either gone up to the door or when they're coming back. At least if you keep them in the car, they have that added level of safety because, again, they can always hit the gas or at least try to flee. But what we're doing right now does not work on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And you saw that again, this horrible story on Friday night, a guy just trying to make a couple extra bucks. Here's the other point about this. I mean, seriously, how much money do you think you're you want to talk about life being cheap? How much money do you think you're really going to get? from some guy delivering pizzas on seventy fifth and Glenbrook. I mean, it's not like you're robbing a bank and you somehow get into the vault. How much money could this guy have possibly had on him? I mean really you and and somebody killed him for, you know, however much, twenty bucks, fifty bucks Probably not more than that, but let's say you even had a 100 bucks, and I doubt it was that. I mean, you want to talk about life being cheap. This is what is going on, and unfortunately, it's going on continually. It happens over and over again, and maybe we need to, maybe, again, the powers that be need to spend less time worrying about expanding a trolley throughout the Milwaukee area and more time trying to figure out how to keep citizens safe. It's 1056. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Foxconn is going to be reality. Will the anti-Walker crowd get on board? The Emmy numbers continue to fall. Has Trump bashing jumped the shark and lots more? Stick around. It's 1056. 1107. This is Jeff Wagner. So, BD, producing the show today. Should I say what a lot of Packer fans are thinking? All right. That, now, one of the big acquisitions in the offseason was this Martellus Bennett, who, you know, is, if the Packers are going to get to the Super Bowl, Bennett Bennett needs to play to his capabilities. Um, the first two games, he has not played to his capabilities. I mean, let, that, that game in Atlanta, the, the game in Atlanta, let's put it like this. I think a lot of people are lucky that he was just trying to catch a football as opposed to a baby being thrown out of a burning building because um, he, he couldn't catch anything. Um story in the paper today about how um, Packers Martellus Bennett having fundamental issues with drops and um, just dropping the ball right and left, not what an all-pro tight end does. And again, I, I'm sure he's going to go on and have a great season. I, I do just offer a thought. He's also the one guy on the Packers That's decided that he's really into the protests. Now, keep in mind, it's his older brother, Michael, who is the lying race baiter who plays for Seattle, who falsely claimed that he was singled out by Las Vegas police simply because he was a black man. Michael Bennett is the guy who was, after the Mayweather fight a couple weeks ago, he's in this casino. Um, the police respond to a call of shots fired, and it turned out there there wasn't an active shooter. Somebody had, like, knocked something over, and it sounded like gunshots. So the, the police say, okay, everybody stay where you are, he is, this is Michael Bennett, he's hiding behind a slot machine. Police say, stay where you are. He then gets up and starts running from the police, jumps over a four foot, um, like, planter, runs out onto Las Vegas Boulevard, and surprise follows surprise, the police, who happen, by the way, to be minorities themselves, chase after him, put him on the ground, and put him in handcuffs. And he says, I'm singled out because I'm a black man. Well, of course, there were all sorts of other black men in the casino. Um, they didn't get stopped in that fashion. Why? Because they didn't run from the cops. So this is, again, the lying race baiter, Michael Bennett. And this is uh, Martellus Bennett is the brother. And he's the one that stands at, uh, with his fist raised. And uh, Okay, that, that's fine. You want to do the protest, that's great. But if I were I giving him any advice, concentrate on. Less on the protest and more on catching the ball. Just, just saying. We'll see what happens this week. Okay. Um, Sunday night, while the Packers were getting beaten by Atlanta, um, while and again, I, I've got I've got more feedback from the, this this. Documentary that's airing on on PBS. It's by Ken Burns, who's the guy that did the Civil War and a number of other things too. He did a World War II one called The War. He did one on baseball. He's done a couple others. As well. Did one on jazz, I think. Um, he's he's it's on the Vietnam War. And I have to admit, I have been mesmerized. I watched the Sunday night um, show. I watched the Monday night show. It's on again. It's an eighteen uh, hour series that they're going to air over. I'm not sure how many days, but it, it traces. It traces the history of the Vietnam War from the beginning to the end. It has it from the perspective of of people on both sides. It, it's amazing, some of the footage they have. And, again, it's just been absolutely mesmerizing. I was talking about this on the air yesterday, and I can't tell you how many people have, have said that they, they ended up watching it and agree with me. They're just, just riveted by this. And I think it's important. It's an important part of history because, just like... Two weeks ago, we discussed 9-11. 9-11 was, what, 16, 16 years ago. There are people who, you know, in, I mean, I mean, candidly, you know, unless you were around 20 years old or so, you don't necessarily remember 9-11. Um, you know, because, again, you just, you weren't focused, you weren't paying attention to that. I mean, the Vietnam experience, which has just guided and influenced so many policy decisions and impacted so many lives of people of my generation. There, there's, you know, people who are younger who just, I mean, it's something in the history books, maybe, if they if they teach history. So, I mean, I, I really encourage people to watch this documentary. So Sunday night, you had the Packers game on, um, and, and even, I mean, obviously, if you're a Packers fan, you're watching this. But, you know, beyond that, um, Packers, Falcons, Big-time matchup. So it's going to get a lot of people watching. Now, the game, I guess, is a lot of people turned it off because it turned out to be a blowout, unfortunately. But, you know, Packers-Falcons, big game. You had this documentary on on PBS for people like me who were into that. A lot of other stuff going on on Sunday night. And then you had the the Emmys, which is the, the TV award shows. Now, TV award shows in general, whether it's Miss America... The Oscars are somewhat of an exception to this, but you know, a, a lot, the Country Music Awards, uh, the Tony Awards for plays. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of these award shows, Miss America, what, and the pageants. The, the ratings are declining. Um, people. Part of it is that people have more choices of things to watch. Part of it is that people are kind of cutting the cords. Um, but but the Emmys was on on Sunday night. And the ratings for the, the Emmys were, were hosted by Stephen Colbert, who, is, of course, has made his last, at least his, his last year or so, has been heavy Trump bashing. That's, that's kind of his claim to fame. You turn in Colbert's show, he's just he's brutal on, on Trump. And actually, he's doing okay in his own little niche. Because of the Trump bashing, he hosted the 69th annual Emmy Awards, and the the Emmy Awards, um, they, they sucked. There, there's, I mean, the ratings are out. Um, the ratings essentially tied for the lowest ever, um, tied with last year for the the lowest ever overall among their, their target audience, which is again, um. The, the 18 to 49 group, it was by far and away, it, it was the lowest ratings ever. So lots of people just simply said, we're not going to watch this. Now, there's many reasons why people decided you know to, to do that, um, including you've got the football game on, stuff like that. A lot of the shows that were up for Emmy Awards, most of us have never seen because a, a lot of the things are on obscure cable channels. I mean, one of the shows that won all these awards is something called The um, Handmaid's Tale, which unless you have Hulu, you you don't see it. I mean, I've never... It's got Elizabeth Moss, who was from Mad Men and all. Um, I, I've heard good things about it, but unless you've got Hulu, you're not watching that. So there's still a lot of people who aren't into the live streaming. So a lot of the stuff that was up for awards, if you haven't seen it, eh, you're not going to care to tune in but the show based on the clips i have seen and the accounts i've read was not surprisingly from start to finish 3 hours of political grandstanding and trump bashing the question becomes has is that politicization of this stuff is is that hurting the ratings 4147991620 that is the aquinet mortgage talk and text line um, I understand there's a lot of stuff going on, but I really believe, feel free to disagree, I believe that this Trump bashing has jumped the shark. And, and here's what I, I mean by that. I mean, I understand uh, among certain groups of people, like the liberal, the Trump haters, you cannot get enough of it. And, and that can support... Like a Stephen Colbert, his show. You got the Trump haters who are going to tune in because they can't hear enough bad stuff about the president and they want to laugh at all. When you are trying, though, to expand beyond that, I think there's a lot of if you want to call it the silent majority, there's a lot of people who say, look, we, we just we don't want that anymore. And so while I freely concede that there's a lot of factors going on that the fact that lots of people haven't seen the tv shows that are up for awards because they don't have the streaming services or whatever um the fact that there's competition i do firmly believe that this over politicization politicization the idea that okay it's going to be another three hour let's bash the republicans let's bash trump that turns a lot of people off and i think the trump bashing has largely jumped the shark 414 1620 is it the only reason no it's like the nfl is the only reason NFL ratings are down because of the Colin Kaepernick-like protests? No, that's not the only reason, but it's a reason. And I think the Trump bashing is a reason why shows like the Emmys just turn off so many people. Joan and Waukesha. Joan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
8: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joan. You hit the nail on the head. And I'll admit that being a Trump supporter can be very, very tricky and hard at times, as you well know. I was always a Trump supporter. I absolutely cannot stand watching those shows for that exact reason. It gets so old. They have this platform. We've all heard it.
0: But and over on. and over and over and over again, yes.
8: <laughs> exactly. I mean, Alan is okay, he makes me laugh. I have to admit that. But this constant just grandstanding on seeing a Trump basher, it's its it, 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 Oh, I turned it
0: off. That's it. Turn it off. Yeah, no, it's, and, I, and I think there's a lot of people like that, Joan, who who don't even turn it on in the first place because oh, Stephen Colbert is hosting this thing. Okay, we know what this is going to be. Oh, Alan Baldwin's going to be there, and, and okay, Alec Baldwin's going to be there. We know what this is 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 going to be. And like I say, it you know, it, I mean, you can you can get decent ratings if you're a late night talk show host where your audience is going to be relatively small. Yes. You can carve out that niche, and, and the there's going to be enough of the we-hate-Trump people, they're going to tune in and laugh, that you'll be okay. But if you're trying to expand to the silent majority, it's a recipe for disaster.
8: And you know what else? Yes, my mother won't even turn it on. Another <laughs> thing, uh, Good Morning America, the next day, shows only the clips of the Trump bashing.
0: Right. Right. That's it. Yeah. Right. No. That's a very and thanks. That's, that's a very good point. It's not like the okay. We're not going to focus on who the awards were. And again, like I said, I want to be honest. I think it's a complicated fact. There's lots of stuff going on. People don't know what the what the shows are. Um, you, you don't get a chance to watch them. You you okay? Well, the Handmaid's Tale. Oh, what what what's that? Never heard of it. Can't see. Oh, it's on Hulu. Okay. Well, I don't have Hulu. Can't watch it. That's that's a factor. No Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones wasn't up for any awards this year. Lots of people you know see that. So there's a lot of factors. It's complicated. But the politics and the over of the politicization of this stuff. I gotta believe that's something going on too. Zach in Milwaukee. Zach, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Hey there. Hi. Uh, this is kind of brought me back to a month or so ago and the M T V awards were on and I'm, I'm part of the younger generation so I grew up on the M T V awards and I I didn't get past twenty minutes of it and you know there was ten to twelve, you know, political things here and there and it was just like I just you know, I'm I'm watching this for entertainment. This is about entertainment.
0: Right, you're worn it's down after a while. I mean it'd be one yeah. thing, okay, if if you got the one person that wants to go off on the riff, but you know it's gonna be nothing but three hours of this yeah. and it just wears you out. <laughs> It was
3: literally every person that talked had to say something about how they felt. And it was just kind of like, you know, after the 12th person, it's, I'll right. move on, and now I just don't even bother to watch
0: Orange show. Right, it's it's kind of like I'm I'm watching this I'm watching this to see what what the the clothes the celebrities are wearing or who they're at the <laughs> show with or whatever. I, I don't need to be lectured to by the Hollywood elite. No, thanks to call that. I and I, I think that's that's this issue. Now, of course, you can't you can't tell people outside the the bubble that you know you. But I, I mean, I think it's the same thing that's that's playing out. Like I say, with the NFL and other things as well. People, you watch this stuff for entertainment you don't want to be lectured to for three hours and you don't want to be insulted i mean moonbeam jerry brown the governor of california maybe we'll do this as topic tomorrow i'm not gonna have enough time today you know he, he gives a speech yesterday where it says if you are a trump supporter you are a cave dweller you are a troglodyte and, and it's very and let me be very clear for people who don't understand what i mean by troglodyte i mean you are a cave dweller so i mean the idea is if you support the agenda of the president, well, okay, you're just you're you're just a complete and total idiot. Go back to your cave. I mean, really, really. Let's talk to Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Good morning. You know, I didn't tune into this, and I'll take it one step further. I do my best to keep track of all the actors and actresses that are doing the Trump bashing, and I do my best to make sure I don't watch any shows that they work that they are on. You
7: know, it's yeah. different
3: than. The ESPN stuff that just came up as well I'm no longer unless there's a specific sporting event that I want to watch I won't turn on ESPN anymore
0: you, you know it it's funny I'm I'm kind of like that I I'm kind of getting to that point too now if, if if ESPN is showing live sports yeah I'll, I'll, I'll tune in and there's something that I want to see but if there you think I'm going to ever watch that 5 p.m. sports center with that uh, Jamel Hill Heck no. I, I mean, I, and it's, it's fine. If ESPN wants to allow her to talk about how Trump supporters are nothing but white supremacists, okay, fine, but I'm, I'm just choosing. I'm going to vote with the dial. There's all sorts of other stuff I can watch at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever, and uh, thanks for and that. That's, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That's hurting ESPN as well. Just saying. It's 1122. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the major companies helping build the new Bucks Arena is also striving to construct a better workplace and community for all. Their vice president explains that philosophy when joining the folks at New Walkie and the Intersection of People and Place podcast. It's now available on WTMJ mobile. When you go to that page, um, you, you'll you'll see podcasts. The people whose voices you don't regularly hear on TMJ, check those out. In addition, you can download, and I know a lot of people do this. The uh, podcast of this program, we podcast it every day. It's posted. Um, every afternoon. So if you can't watch the whole thing, well, that's okay. You can just you can't listen to the whole thing in real time. Check it out when you're at the gym later on. Uh, sit and listen to the show. Um, Drew and mundeline writes: I won't watch award shows anymore. Too politicized. No relationships are furthered by name calling and bashing like has been happening on these shows. I'm not a Trump supporter, but oh my God, I could not continue any relationship with anyone who would do that to me. Um, I, you know, I if you didn't believe what I said, okay, Jerry Brown famously known as moonbeam jerry brown he's been around california forever he's in his like second tour of duty as the governor of california i I, this is this is what's going on i've got the story in my hand it's political um yesterday he called donald trump's approach to climate change and north korea standing up to north korea he called it stupid dangerous and silly they're both kind of similar Brown said at a climate change event in New York, you should check out the derivation of Trumpite, that would be you if you support the president, and troglodyte, because they both refer to people who dwell in deep, dark caves. So here you have Moonbeam Jerry Brown, who decides that, well, well, gee, if you support the president, you are a cave dweller. Now, I understand, as I've said before, that there are aspects of the Trump presidency or in particular the Trump personality that I find off-putting. But really, you're, you're a cave dweller if you believe that, well, maybe we shouldn't allow North Korea to have a nuclear weapon that they then will use on South Korea. That makes you a cave dweller. And, of course, then you're going to be lectured by Jerry Brown, of all people. It is 1128. When we come back, now that Foxconn is a reality, will the anti-Walker folks get on the bus? Stick around. 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Let's see. Brewers fans, start making plans because the 2018 schedule is out. A West Coast season opener. They're going to be in San Diego and a division rival in town for opening day at Miller Park. Get all the details now in the Brewers section of WTMJ.com. Hey, let me give you um, some breaking news. This happened within the last hour. Um, th- there, there's been, as, as everybody will recall, back in 2015, um, Wisconsin... Passed a, a right to work law, which prohibits labor unions from, which prohibits essentially the labor contracts from requiring that the workers have to belong to a, a union, and it prohibits those who don't want to belong to a union from having to pay union dues. Okay, the union sued in state and federal court. They say, hey, this is um, th- these are these are free riders. It is unconstitutional for the government to stop us from collecting fees from all workers hmm. so that a union has a constitutional right to require people to pay dues. Hmm. Well, um, the federal court, a couple of weeks ago, rejected that argument, completely threw it out. Um, in Wisconsin, there was a similar lawsuit that was filed, so they lost. the unions lost in federal court. In state court, these lawsuits all get filed in Dane County, where you have, I believe, eight judges who... To the credit of the Dane County judges, they are representative of the people in Dane County, but Dane County is its own little world. The people in Dane County are way, 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 way to the left of most of the people in the state of Wisconsin. City of Milwaukee perhaps accepted. There, are there are, again, are, are pockets of hardcore lefties. But if you want to find a, a very, very liberal court, you go out to Dane County, and, and that's where you're going to find it. And, of course, ever since – I mean, we've seen this play out for years and years and years, but pretty much almost always since Scott Walker took over, you have the legislature that passes l- laws – You have the governor that signs them, and then you have somebody that runs to the Dane County courts and gets an order putting the law on hold. There's a reason why they don't go to courts in Waukesha County or Ozaukee County or throughout the state. They know that they're going to have sympathetic liberals, -liberals, ultra-liberals, uber-liberals on the bench in Dane County who will buy into this. All right, this right-to-work law was, with all due respect, not even close. I I mean... I think you could even make an argument that the challenging the law was frivolous. The law is very, very well settled in general that you, you unions can't force people to have to pay dues. Um, yet they found a sympathetic Dane County Circuit Judge, uh, Bill Faust, used to be the DA up there, and Faust running... I I guess not caring about precedent and not caring about federal court rulings. Faust found that the law was unconstitutional and issued an order in April of 2016 saying, nope, you you can't implement the right to work law. Now, the state court of appeals immediately put that ruling on hold because, again, it was so whacked out. And uh, the state court of appeals just issued a decision this morning throwing out the lawsuit, saying the unions end up losing. Um, they say that the law is constitutional, um, saying that um, you, you, know, you don't have a constitutional right to be able to collect dues from your, your members. Um, the unions can appeal it to the state Supreme Court, but they will lose, um, just like they lost when they were fighting this in, in federal court. This, though, is another one of those examples of why with Foxconn, and we're going to talk about Foxconn in just a minute, Why? Putting the provision in the legislation, which allowed for the direct appeal of cases, circuit court cases involving Foxconn, allowed for the direct appeal to the state Supreme Court and also putting the decisions automatically on hold. Because here's what is going to happen. Inevitably, You are going to have some of the people that don't like Foxconn, that are going to be trying to block things. They will go to court. They will probably, to the extent they can, um, to the extent they can bring the cases in Dane County, they will. They will get part of this eight-judge panel, all of whom one judge who's more liberal than the next, who have a habit of issuing these rulings, which are then subsequently reversed. But they'll issue the rulings and then that delays the process while it, it drags out. I mean, in this particular case, you had Faust's ruling, which was in 2015. Um, the decision, okay, the, the Faust ruling was April of 2016. Here we are um, almost October of 2017, so it's over a year plus well over a year, before the Court of Appeals gets around to uh, entering a decision. Now, they did put the ruling on hold, but the legislation would say, look, we're not going to allow rulings by some of these whacked-out circuit court judges in Dane County to unduly delay the process. You can file lawsuits, you know, you can ask for rulings, you can have your day in court, that's fine, but we're going to streamline the appeal process so we're not going to let the people use the Dane County court system to delay stuff for years especially given the fact that you've got these judges in Dane County who are almost who are routinely reversed when it comes to trying to restrict the legislature from passing laws that the legislature has passed. So that's all this is. Now, there's going to be legal challenges to that provision as well, but uh, the truth of the matter is that this is a classic example. This whole right-to-work legislation is a classic example of why they're fast-tracking the appeals process in the Foxconn case simply to stop Dane County judges who are in all likelihood going to be reversed if they rule against the legislature from... Again, being able to delay processes. Okay, when we come back in just a couple minutes, speaking of Foxconn, in the Assembly, there was one Democrat from Milwaukee who voted for this. In the State Senate, I don't think any Democrats from Milwaukee voted for it. Now, though, that Foxconn is going to happen, will people get on board, or will Walker derangement syndrome win out? We discuss. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. So, BD has been working seven days a week here. Seven days a week for weeks. Wow. And he works another job on top of that. Wow. Okay. I'll be nicer to him. I'm nice to him. But that's... He gets a day off tomorrow. That's okay. Everybody needs a day off. Now... Steve Scafidi, you know, I, he gets a lot of days off there, but that's okay. Um, just a dozen games left in the hunt for brew October, and the Brewers are in Pittsburgh for Game 2 of their series with the Pirates. We'll send it out to PNC Park for Jeff and Lane's call starting at 5.30 tonight here on WTMJ. Yeah, it's kind of at the point where it's like like just just win, baby, but um, real interesting, you've got two more games in Pittsburgh, then they come back four games at home against the Chicago Cubs, I'm going to the game on Thursday night. Got tickets, um, but it's you know, I mean, I guess it's po- it's doable. And then you got Colorado um, for the wild card. Colorado's two games ahead. They're in San Francisco tonight. Uh, just uh, bottom line is, if the Brewers continue to win, things will be good. And and you know, big picture, win or lose, whether they make the playoffs or not, and if they miss the playoffs. Isn't it going to be frustrating because you're going to say, oh, my gosh, if they could have just not lost those three in Cincinnati a week or two ago or just not lost those four in Pittsburgh? Uh, That has been one of the problems that the Brewers have had, that they – They play teams that are better than them or have better records. They play them extremely well. I mean, look at what they did with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Look at what they did with the Washington Nationals. Look at what they did to the Cubs last weekend. You know, they play those teams really, really, or two weekends ago when they play the Cubs. They play those teams really well. And then you lose, up until before last night, you lose five of six games in Pittsburgh. Now, they won last night. You go to Cincinnati and you get swept. If you look at some of the teams um, that have better records than the Brewers, it's Because it's because they just whip up on the teams that you should beat, and that's been part of the Brewers' problem this year. But regardless of what happens, whether they make the playoffs or not, I mean, it's been it really has been a magical season, kind of fun, a lot of fun to watch, and so um, just. Pay attention. We'll be carrying all the games here as the uh, as the season winds down. They are still competitive, and as we were sitting there, I remember doing the opening day broadcast from the dugout. And you're talking to Mark Atanasio and David Stearns and all the other people. And the truth is, if you would have said, "Hey, you know, twelve game, a dozen games left in the season, and the Brewers are still in a realistic spot to make the playoffs." You know, would you have taken it? And I think everybody would have said yes. All right, here's one of the things, and we don't have a lot of time on this, um, but but it's something that I will be watching with great interest. July, what late July, the, the governor announced that there was this deal that was in the works to bring Foxconn, the big you know Asian company, to Wisconsin, and the idea was um, in building the facility. Foxconn was going to commit to spending somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 B as in billion dollars. And then the plan was, as they started building these different things that they build, ultimately, the hope is that they'll get up to uh, employment of up to 13000 people. I firmly believe that if this had been a Democrat, if this, for example, had been Jim Doyle, who negotiated this deal. Almost everybody who voted against the deal in the state legislature would have voted the other way. You wouldn't have heard anything about, oh, this is corporate welfare or this is too much money. You would have heard, hey, this is transformational. You're going to have 5, 10, 13,000 Foxconn jobs. You're going to have thousands of other jobs. This is a revitalizing thing. In my heart of hearts, I firmly believe that almost every single person who voted against this in the legislature would have voted exactly the opposite way. If Jim Doyle had been the governor, but Jim Doyle isn't the governor, you know Scott Walker is the governor. So now you have people who, in the past, really haven't had too many uh, concerns about, I don't know, throwing government money at trying to create, you know, jobs, uh, especially you know government jobs. Um, now it's a situation where now they're, oh, this is just terrible. This is corporate welfare, etc. I also, and I've said this before, I think it was a huge disservice for Milwaukee-area Democrats, the one exception being State Representative Jason Fields, to vote against Foxconn. Why? Because, let's face it, one of the big problems in Milwaukee is that there's not enough good jobs. That's just the problem. You have incredibly high pockets of unemployment. Foxconn has the potential to be a godsend for Milwaukee County in general and the city of Milwaukee in particular, that is why it is so appalling that people like Lena Taylor and Tim Carpenter and um, Chris Larson, who represent this area, rather than trying to make the bill better by saying, "Hey, this is a great opportunity. Let's make sure. Let's put stuff in here to make it easier for my constituents to get down to Racine County so they they can work at these jobs." Rather than doing that, they just decided to put party ahead of the interests of their constituents and end up voting no on this. No, 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 no. Why? Because it fits into the Walker derangement syndrome. You know, they, they don't want to give Scott Walker a victory. You have people in Milwaukee and you have Democrats in the legislature who are rooting against the state. They are hoping for failure because they would rather see the jobs not materialize at Foxconn than give Scott Walker a victory going into a re-election campaign. And that is a very, very sad commentary. Well, now the question, this is really where the metal meets the meat, because here's here's the issue. Foxconn is going to happen. It was signed into law yesterday by the governor, with very, very little Democratic support. Uh, I think two state representatives from Kenosha, one from Racine, one from Milwaukee, one state senator from Kenosha, and that's it. So now that you have this incredible potential, you know, job provider, now the question is going to be, will the same people who voted no were in the minority Will they now say, hey, let us embrace Foxconn now that this is going to happen, now that we've made our statements of saying that we're not going to support uh, the Foxconn, now will they get on board? Now will they start saying, okay, well, now that this is going to happen, how can we get our constituents down there to work and get them back? This is now going to be the test of leadership. Because at this point in time, I do think the ball is in the courts of the Lena Taylors and the Chris Larsons and the Tim Carpenters of the world. You said no. You turned your back on good paying jobs for your constituents. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to allow politics to drive the decision? Or or maybe are you going to start saying, okay, now that Foxconn is going to happen, I now want to jump on board because it's good for my constituents. That would be what principled politicians will do. I'm not holding my breath.